Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I want to, I want to submit to Grace Church here today and perhaps any other apostolic people that may be watching or listening via live stream. We cannot forget who we are. I refuse to become a victim or to fall in lockstep with what's going on in our culture and society right now. I want to say to you today, we're still one God, apostolic, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled people. Amen. And I think we need to walk out of here with more of the Holy Ghost and a less, little less in here with what's going on in our culture. We're still the people of God. We are no less saved today than we were five years ago, three years ago. And this is still God's church, and I'm still a part of it. Praise the Lord. Our faith should reflect that. Our praise should reflect that. Our worship should reflect that. I'm glad to be a child of God here today. I'm glad to be born into the kingdom. Hallelujah. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord and shout yes to Jesus, everybody. Hallelujah. Come on, young folks, shout yes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost. I do feel the Holy Ghost here, Michelle. I believe the power of God is still as rich and real today as it ever has been. It's up to us, it's up to us to bring that element of faith, that element of confidence. Thank the Lord. I want the Lord to have his way here today. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated for a moment. Brother Ben announced that tomorrow we begin 21 days of sacrifice. People may question the timing of this, but we generally do this every year. January and then August. You say, well, haven't we sacrificed enough? We haven't sacrificed to the kingdom. You may have sacrificed going to where you want to go and eat where you want to eat and all that kind of stuff, but that's not unto the kingdom. That's just unto all of this business going on in our culture right now. I'm going to ask everybody to participate to the best of your ability. To set something aside that says, God, I'm still paying attention to your kingdom. I'm not talking about Grace Church. There's still a purpose and function of the kingdom of God in this world, and I believe that with all of my heart. I, I don't believe God's in quarantine, and he's not going to get a COVID test once a week and all that stuff, and I'm not making light of that. But God is still God. He's still on the throne, and he still knows what he's doing, and he still has purpose for his church, and everybody say amen. So I'm going to ask you to give up something, social media, particular food, whatever it is. Um, please don't say I'm going to do 21 days of sacrifice and just stay in my house for the next 21 days. Please don't do that. We've been doing that anyway. I'm talking about something else. But uh, give something unto the Lord during this 21 days and let's continue to seek God for a move and outpouring of His Spirit. <clears throat> I do want to thank those who participated yesterday in our Move the Mission fundraiser, uh, serving jambalaya and uh, those that cooked it, those that served it, those that delivered it, whatever it was. Uh, some of our young folks told me they were out on the street out there 
dressed up in all kinds of costumes. I don't know if anybody took pictures. I know Quackius was out there. That's our, our church duck was out there. But I understand Moses showed up and Elijah and whoever else. Uh, King Herod, one of the wise men, I think, showed up. Whatever it takes to get anybody to drive in here to buy a jambalaya dinner, right? That's what we do. And uh, it was a tremendous success yesterday. And thank all of you so very much that participated in that. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. Uh, where's Bryson? Bryson was just baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus, and we're excited for him. God touched his heart last Sunday. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> He's got a little of his daddy in him. I, just, I didn't have to even call him up. I just said his name. He came running up here. If I said... I can't say his name. He'll come running up here, even though he's in the media booth. But anyway, uh, but we're excited for you, man. You were baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus. He couldn't wait. I had to tell him two or three times when we got back here, I'm going to go in the baptistry for you. And he'll start walking ahead of me. I said, let me go in front of you. Hang on just a minute. Let me get in there, and then I'll get you in there. He was ready to be baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus. And that's the way it should be, right? They are excited. Our kids are excited about Jesus. And uh, we want God to just continue to bless Bryson. So we have a certificate here for you. You can bring it to your mama. And, uh, but it states that you were baptized today at Grace Church in the beautiful name of Jesus on August the 8th. So, hey, man, congratulations. You did good. Thank you, Bryson. Thank the Lord. I'm proud, so very proud, so very thankful of uh, our students our children and uh, our parents so thankful for our parents that bring them faithfully and consistently not just on Sunday but every service they bring them up here on Friday nights for uh, the youth event we do here on Friday night it's always well attended I love and appreciate our church thank God for Grace Church all right if you'll stand one more time it's uh, my privilege and honor to bring a man to this pulpit that I love and appreciate and every time he preaches, he impacts the lives of people. Uh, I remember we were out of town. I believe we were at Nationals when Brother Jason preached Hope Hurts. We'll watch that later. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal message. He always comes prepared. He always comes with something to say. Would you lend him your ear, your heart, and your spirit today as he comes to minister to us the Word of God? God bless you, Jason. Thank you so very much. Amen. God bless you today, Grace Church. You can be seated for just a moment and get myself together here. I don't always say this whenever I come to the pulpit, but I don't take these opportunities lightly. Um, standing in the pulpit is a, is a responsibility in and of itself, but being able to preach to my home church uh, is uh, an incredible, incredible privilege. There is Grace Church in my DNA. It, it's just, it's become part of who I am, and I love you very, very much. And so I consider it a true honor to be able to give you what I believe is the Word of God. Today is, uh, go, you're good, thank you. Today is a first for me in that I am endeavoring to preach a sequel to a sermon that I've preached before. And I think that's okay because in talking with all of our deeply spiritual ministry team members back, back before uh, service started, nobody could remember it. So I think it's going to be all right. 
But in March of 2018, I preached a message here at Grace Church entitled Nighttime Changes. And I'm not going to attempt to re-preach that message, but for the sake of context and based on the comments that I heard earlier, I do want to remind you of a few key points from that sermon three years ago. In Nighttime Changes Part 1, we dug into how God brought Moses and the children of Israel through the Red Sea at night. See, God transitioned them from a place of vulnerability to a position of victory during the nighttime, during a, a time when it was hard to, to see and difficult to navigate, during a time whenever they might have struggled to, to get their bearings and, and it was hard to tell what was really going on, during a time when it seemed like the enemy was, was literally breathing down their necks. God chose that time to move them where they needed to be to experience the next part of his plan for their lives. See, sometimes God works in the broad of day where it's, it's easy to see what he's doing. But sometimes God positions his people for purpose even in the fear-laden, difficult cover of darkness, nighttime. Sometimes you can't see all of the changes that are happening. Sometimes you can't discern God's hand at work. Sometimes it doesn't register with you that God is actually positioning you for victory. And in those nighttime moments of transition, we have to resist the tendency that we all have to draw back to a place of hopelessness or, or fear or unbelief because whenever we begin to interact with God and interact with the people that are close to us and interact with the world around us based on how we feel during the tension of change instead of who we know God to be, and his track record of love and goodwill, well, we miss it. So today I, I want to preach a follow-up to that message. And I couldn't preach this thought three years ago, even though the thought was there. I, I didn't feel a release then to say what I wanted to say. And I, I still may not have enough corn in my crib to, to, to preach it today with much credibility. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard from God this week. And if I heard him right, if I heard him right, he said it was time to declare some things in faith and to call those things that are not as though they were and to use faith that has been given to every man as the substance of what it is you're hoping for and the evidence of what you just don't see. So there's the background. Stand with me. We're going to read a text. We'll pray, and we'll get to it. We're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 today. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, 
Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. For a little while this morning, I want to preach to you nighttime changes part two. It's already been done. I don't often do this, but I'm going to ask you this morning, would you stretch your hands toward me and pray for me this morning that we can deliver what it is God's placed on our heart? God, I need your help today. I want to speak your word in faith. I want to speak your word in truth. Lord, I want them to hear the voice of God, not just the voice of man. I believe that you've got some things in mind for some people today. Lord, and I just pray that you would prepare our hearts right now to receive your word, to act on your word, to make some changes based on what you say to us in the spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody clap your hands and say amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. Thank you. Grace Church for your prayers. I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, things always seem worse at night. There's a reason that we use the phrase, things that go bump in the night, to describe scary stuff. Nobody talks about things that go bump during the day. Because you're not worried about things that make weird noises in the daytime. You just you get up, go check it out, see what it is, and you fix it. But if it's at night, and you hear something weird, you, you probably treat it a little different at 2 a.m., at 2 in the morning, than what you do at 2 in the afternoon. That, that's all I'm saying. Things always seem worse at night. Which must be the reason why my dad thought it would be a great idea to take me snipe hunting at night in the rain. I was five and a sucker, apparently, because Billy Dean, he had been, he had been talking it up, man. I don't know where we had been, but we were on our way home from, from somewhere, and for some reason he got to talking about snipe hunting. Now, for those of you that don't know what snipe hunting is, I'm just hang with me. I'm going to get there. But he started talking it up, man. Oh, snipe hunting. You know, that snipe hunting, that snipe hunting, that's hard. I mean, you got, you got to be a, a pretty good hunter to, to catch a snipe. Well, I mean, you, you got to be really, really brave to even go on, on a snipe hunt. I mean, I, I don't know if you're ready. I don't, I don't know if you could do it. And on and on. I don't remember what all he said. But I, sh- I should have known something was up by the way that my mother kept telling him, Billy, stop it. Billy, stop stop it. Bill, stop it. But I, I was clueless. I, I, just, I was five years old. Dad was a hunter. I wanted to be just like Dad. I wanted to be a brave hunter like Dad. And by the time the ride home was over, I was begging, begging to go snipe hunting. Dad, please, please. I know it's raining. I know it's dark. Dad, just, just please, can we please go snipe hunting? So, you know, it all, I wouldn't shut up about it. So, apparently, it was all my fault, right? Because I'm the one that begged to go. But it was a setup, y'all. I'm telling y'all, it was a setup. Now, I might be about to ruin somebody's plans to mess with their kids, but I don't care. 
Let me tell y'all about snipe hunting. I want every kid 12 and under to listen to what I'm about to tell you. It is a trick. It's a lie, lie, lie. It's bogus. It's bogus. Don't fall for it, kids. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your favorite uncle. Anybody that says they want to take you snipe hunting, they are lying to you. And the snipes are real. Snipes are real. The common snipe is a little brown and white speckled bird with a long beak, lives in the marsh, it eats bugs. Snipes are real. But snipe hunting? Nah, bro. It's a sham. Now, as best I can tell from my extensive research into the subject, snipe hunting traditions vary from family to family. But at the end of the day, the goal of any snipe hunting excursion is to make kids miserable and scare them to death. That's the point. And usually, there's a dad or a grandpa or an uncle or a cousin or an older brother that's a bit of a prankster. And it also usually involves a, a sack of some kind, like, like a paper sack or a bread bag or a burlap sack if you're fancy. And it's got to be dark and either cold or raining. But if you can get all three, you got the trifecta, man. You have got the perfect setting for snipe hunting. Now, here's what my loving father did. After talking it up and making a five-year-old feel like snipe hunting was the greatest accomplishment any man could ever do, we got home. Now, look, I don't want y'all to get hung up on this paper bag. This has absolutely nothing to do with my message. Other than the fact that this is what Billy Dean gave me. Like one of those old, like actual paper grocery bags that they used to put your groceries in in a grocery store. This came, this is what my jambalaya was in yesterday. With those white beans. Hey, those white beans are so good. But th I took this as a sign from the Lord because I was like, I, I need a paper sack. There it is, right there. So we get home, Billy Dean's hands me this, this paper bag. It was raining, not, not hard, but enough. There, there were puddles on the ground, and it was dark. And I'm, I'm, I'm in my little yellow raincoat and my rubber boots. And we go out into the woods behind the house, man. And, and, and here, here's what he tells me. Here's what Dad tells me. It's like, okay, Jay, this is, this is what you got to do. I want you to, to take this bag, and, and I want you to stand right here in, in the middle of the game trail, okay? And I'm going to leave you here, and I'm going to circle around into the woods where the snipes are, and I'm going to run them to you. And what your job is, Jay, I want you to, to, to hold that bag open really wide and get down on the ground as close as you can, and, and they're going to run toward you. But now here's, here's, the, here's what you got to do. You got to make sure you whistle. Give a little whistle. <laughs> I was five. I couldn't whistle too good. Still not great at it. He said, so you got to hold it down. You got to whistle. And, 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 then, and then he said, and it would be really good if, if you would call them. So you just call him, you just say, just say, here's snipe, here's snipe, snipe, snipe. Y'all give me a break. I was five. I thought my father could be trusted. 
Well, let me tell y'all what happened. Billy Dean goes off into the woods and leaves me there by myself in the dark and rain, doing my best to whistle and call these stupid snipes into this bag. And then he starts making noises. Splashing around, grunting, making all these weird animal noises. And, and I, I tried, y'all. I tried to be a brave little snipe hunter. I really, I tried. I called his name just to make sure. And Daddy. And he didn't say nothing. There was just more splashing and more animal noises. Said, Daddy. I tried to whistle. <laughs> My mouth was dry. It wouldn't come out. And those splashing noises were getting louder and closer. And they sounded a lot bigger than any bird that was going to fit in this paper sack. I, tr I tried to stick it out. I tried to do what Dad told me to do and, and stay where he told me to stay. But when Billy Dean did that wildcat scream that he could do, now look, I can't do it. I embarrass myself if I tried, so I'm not even going to. But it would raise the short hairs on the back of your neck in the daytime, much less in the dark at night. And he says he didn't do it. But I was there. I know the truth. I know what happened. I just think he didn't want to be in more trouble with mama. But he let loose with that scream. And y'all, I was, I was out of there. There wasn't nothing left of me except a soggy paper bag blowing in the wind in the middle of that game trail. Me and my rubber boots bounced out. And mom, I guess mom, you, mom's here today. God bless her. She thinks I tell these stories to make her look like a bad parent, but... She must have heard me coming. I don't know if I was screaming or what. I don't even remember. But she had the back door open, man, whenever I got there. And I wrapped myself around her legs, and I wasn't letting go. My heart about to beat out of my chest. And Billy Dean wasn't too far behind me. He, he must have known that he was in trouble. It is the only time in my life that I can remember ever hearing and seeing my mom fuss at my dad. But she let him have it, son. She let him have it. And I don't remember what all she said, but it, it must have been pretty good because I could bring up the story years later and Billy Dean would still start to squirm and sweat a little bit. Everything seems worse at night. Splashes in the puddles sound bigger, more dangerous at nighttime. Snipes start to grow teeth and claws and look like a velociraptor at nighttime. Animal noises get a lot scarier when it's happening at night. If Billy Dean had been standing by me where, where I could see him or, or touch him or hear him, it, none of that would have been a big deal. Even after he left me in the trail by myself holding a paper bag, if it had been daylight, if I could have seen Dad out there splashing around and making all of his weird noises, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But when it was nighttime, things just seemed scarier. Your imagination just goes crazy. You think things up that they, they seem true, but they... They're not even close to reality. You start to hear things and anticipate things and believe in things that are downright terrifying, but they aren't real. 
making this decision to, to stay where you are and stick to the plan and do what your daddy told you to do is so much harder in the nighttime because things just seem worse at night. All of the bad stuff in life just gets, just gets worse in the nighttime. So that's why I read about these, these three women from Mark 16. And I, I get it, man. I get it. I understand where they're coming from. Let me give you a setup. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they, they all record different details about what happened after Christ was crucified and resurrected. They all, they all record different details. And, and all of them talk about these, these women making their way to the, on, the, on the journey to the tomb. But they all say the same thing. No matter who's involved in the gospel account, it was very early in the morning. Matthew's gospel says that dawn was just beginning to break as they got there. Mark, our, from our text, tells us that the sun was just starting to rise. Luke says it was very early in the morning. The John 20 makes it real plain. John, John says, while it was yet dark. And they were bringing spices to anoint Jesus' body. They would have done it earlier if they could, but the requirements of the Sabbath dictated that they wait. I find the, the fact that they were bringing spices really interesting. It, they're bringing spices for the anointing of the dead. Well, that, that says a lot about their expectation. They expected, they expected exactly what most of us would have expected had we witnessed what they had seen. Because they had seen Jesus beaten repeatedly for hours. And they had, they had seen Him crucified and, and hanging on a cross. And, and, and like even Mary Magdalene from our text, she had actually seen them close Jesus up in the tomb because she followed Joseph of Arimathea as he placed the body in the tomb. So what they expected to find, they expected to find armed guards. They expected to find a, a sealed tomb. They expected a dead Jesus. They were prepared to deal with a dead corpse, one that was starting to smell. That's what the spices were for. That's why they had brought them to begin with. So I want you to get the setup today. I want you to, to get into their mindset. They were not entertaining the idea of a risen Savior. They, they were not anticipating a resurrection miracle. Even though they had personally witnessed blind eyes open, lame legs healed, dead bodies coming to life, even though they had heard the disciples talk about this Jesus that could silence storms with a word, and, and it's Jesus that took authority over demonic spirits and, and walked on water and multiplied loaves and, and fish. Even though Mary Magdalene herself had experienced His power when Jesus delivered her from seven evil spirits in Luke chapter 8, even though they had heard Jesus prophesy about His death at the hands of the Pharisees and how he would raise, raise up again in three days. Even with all of that, they still were not expecting a miracle. Quite the contrary. They were prepared to handle the reality of a dead Jesus. 
I can't imagine what the night before our text must have been like for them. The uncertainty of the time. Come on, somebody. It's not just 2020 and 2021. There was societal upheaval back then. Jesus was gone. What did that mean for, for who he said he was? I mean, he said he was, we, we thought he was Messiah. He said he was Messiah. We, we thought he was here to deliver us and to make our lives better. But Jesus is gone. What does that mean for us? What's going to happen to us now? How are we going to manage? What do we do? Can't imagine what that night must have been like. The heartbreak they must have felt. The doubts that they must have been dealing with. The, the hopelessness, the empty hurt inside of them. I can't imagine how, how scary and troubling and gut-wrenching that night must have been for them. As they walked toward the tomb in those early morning hours, the last thing on their minds was a miracle. Mark tells us where their minds really were. They were anxious. They weren't talking about a miracle. They were worried about the stone. Mark 16 and and three, we read it earlier, it says, And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Who, who's going to move the stone for us whenever we get there? We've got all of these spices. We've prepared all of this stuff. But we can't move the stone ourselves. Who's going to do it for us? Verse 4 from our text says that the stone was very great, very great. The Greek word there means either very large in size or very large in mass. So either it was really big or really heavy, maybe both. We don't know. So maybe the stone was too heavy for them, too much weight for them to move on their own strength. And there's some scholarly debate about that fact. I suppose it's possible. So maybe it was too heavy for them, and that's what they were worried about. We just don't have the physical capacity to be able to move this thing on our own. Who's, who's going to do it for us? Man, I hope somebody's listening today. But maybe more than the physical weight of the stone would have been the issue of authority. Because Matthew 27 tells us that Pilate, the Roman governor, had ordered the stone of the tomb be sealed at the behest of the Pharisees. So what they probably would have done was, was wrap a cord around the stone and then place the stone and fill in that crack around that cord with wax. And then somebody would have put Pilate's official seal into the wax that was in the crack of the door. So breaking that wax seal would have had consequences because a Jewish woman didn't mess with the authority of a Roman governor. They didn't have permission. They didn't have the authority. They didn't have the access. They didn't have the connections. Whatever the case, be it a matter of physical strength to move it, physical capacity to move it, or be it an authority issue, they didn't expect a miracle. They were expecting a problem. They were counting on an obstacle. They anticipated hardship. They didn't know if the soldiers were going to be willing to help them. 
They didn't know if they were going there that morning in vain. They didn't know if all of their preparations would amount to anything at all other than frustration. Who is going to move this stone for us? We've spent the money and done the work of getting these spices together. We've endured the hardship and the waiting of the nighttime. We've made this journey to this tomb in the dark. We're all tired. We're heartbroken. We're hopeless. We're reeling from what's happening. We want to do what's right. Even if the only thing we can do is honor his body, at least that's something. But how are we going to do what we've set out to do when there's this stone in our way that we can't move on our own? And in my mind, you can play it out the way you want to. But in my mind, I see him getting there when it's, when it's still that that grayish haze of pre-dawn hours. You early risers, you deer hunters, you know what I'm talking about. You can tell there's something there, but you can't quite tell exactly what it is. It's not pitch black anymore, right? But it, it's, it's not really enough light to see well either. Everything's hazy and indistinct. Maybe you have enough light to sort of navigate by and not break your neck, but it's not a, enough light to really lend confidence and when they get to the tomb in that, that gray pre-dawn light, it, it, it's kind of hard to, to make out. But it, it, the closer they get, it looks like the, the guards that they expected, they're, they're, not, they're not even there. And, and it had to be confusing for them and, and probably more than a little unsettling, especially whenever they get closer and they realize that, oh, well, okay, the, the guards aren't, aren't gone like we, we thought. They're, they're, they're passed out like... Like dead men on the ground. What, what's, what's going on? And then their eyes are drawn to that gaping hole in the tomb. Because not only are the, are the guards passed out, but, 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 but the, the stone... That, that stone that they were worried about, that, that heavy stone, come on somebody, that they couldn't move on their own, that sealed stone that they didn't have the authority to open, that obstacle that they were worried about, that problem they were expecting, that hardship they had anticipated was already moved out of their way. See, they... They thought that they would have to, to beg someone to move that stone. The, the stone that they were worried about, they would have to move on their own. But the one who has all power had already stepped in and it was already done. See, they thought they were going to have to appeal to somebody with greater earthly authority than they had to move something that they didn't have the stroke to move. But the King of Kings was already on the scene and it was already done. I think you're starting to get it. They thought there was going to be an obstacle in front of them, but the Waymaker was already there. He was alive, and he was moving, and he was already done. They thought there was going to be more hardship and problems, but the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life was a step ahead of them, going before them, and it was already done. Oh, I wish somebody would give some praise. It's already been done. Now that's good, that's good, that's good. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. 
Now let me preach my message. Because here it comes. When, class, did the stone get moved? Was it when they got there? Well, that's not what the text says. What was it? Was it moved after they got there? No. Y'all giving me that look. Got me a little worried. When was the stone moved? Before they got there. I'm going to give y'all a hint. Starts with mm and ends with I time. Sounds like nighttime. The stone was moved during the, it's not a trick question. I know it's a pop quiz, but it's not hard. The stone was moved, come on, say it with me, in the nighttime. See, it was a nighttime change. It happened in the dark when they couldn't see it. It happened during the night when everything seems worse. God did a miracle before they even knew about it. And he did it in the nighttime. Oh, come on, somebody. The miracle they didn't expect, God did it during what was probably the hardest night of their lives. During the night while they were still hopeless. During the night when they were still hurting. During the night while they were confused. During the night where they were feeling some doubt. Wondering what it all meant and what they were going to do. God had already taken care of it. He was just waiting on them to get there. Did you catch it? The miracle was already done. He was just waiting on them to get there. I, I, I'm going to say this one more time. I want to make sure I'm being clear. I'm being a good communicator. During the nighttime, when things were at their worst, God moved the obstacle that they were worried about, and he was actually waiting on them to experience a miracle that they weren't even expecting in the first place. God's talking to somebody right now. Uh, I'm preaching about 63% better than y'all responding. All right, here we go. And this is where I may not have enough corn in my crib to preach this the way I want to preach it. But for those of you that are willing to trust me and get on board, let's go. Because there's a shift. This is what I felt like I heard God say to me later, latter part of this week. There's a shift that needs to take place in our thinking, in our speech, and in our actions. There's a shift that needs to happen. It's time to shift how we think and reframe what's going on around us. I don't know if this stuff is going to get any better. I don't know if, if the U.S. is going to regain its glory days. I don't know if China's going to go away. I don't know if racial and social tension is going to go away. I don't know if this world is going to get any better. I don't know that. But it's time that we shift how we think and reframe what's going on around us. It may be 
nighttime in my life. My life might be falling apart. It looks like people have deserted me. It looks like my resources are gone. It might be nighttime in my life. It might be nighttime in the world around me. But that's when God does some of his best work. He's got a track record, a proven track record of doing amazing, incredible things that nobody expected at nighttime. we got to shift how we think. You got to reframe it. It's not denying the night. Did you catch that? It's not denying the night. It can be pitch black outside. Oh, it's not night. No, dummy, it's night. It's dark. We're not denying the nighttime. All we're doing is reframing it and understanding that my God's not relegated to working during the day when I can see it and tell it what it is he's doing. My God can work at night. He can do incredible things whenever I can't tell what's going on. I've got to reframe how I think. Oh, let me preach to Jason for a minute. Y'all can sit this one out. I'll just preach to me. But it's time to shift how we speak and proclaim the things that we don't see yet. It might be nighttime in my life, but I'm still going to speak in faith the solution I don't see. It might be nighttime in my life and I'm struggling and I might feel a little hopeless at times, but I'm still going to speak in faith the solution that I don't see yet. It might be nighttime and I can't see the hand of God at work and I don't even know if He cares about me. Sometimes I wonder, but I'm still going to speak in faith. I've determined. I've made up my mind. Whatever the nighttime might be, I'm going to speak in faith the solution that I don't see yet. Let me deal with something. Okay, Jason, that's great. I, I, I hear you. But I've done that before. It didn't work. Let me tell you something. You're not going to get it by not speaking it. So go ahead, bow up in the Holy Ghost. Let the Spirit of God speak through you and you go ahead and proclaim that thing because it's not your reputation or your power on the line. It's not not you that's on the line. It's God. You let Him handle it. You speak it. All right, one more, one more, one more. There's something starting to break here. I, got, I don't want to miss it, but it, it's, I got to tell you, it's time for us to shift how we act. We're going to shift how we think and reframe the darkness. We're going to shift how we speak and proclaim the things that we don't see. But God said it's also time for us to take it beyond thinking and beyond just speaking and start to shift how we act and move forward in faith like the obstacle we've been worried about is truly gone. It might be nighttime, but I'm still making plans. It might be nighttime, but I'm still moving forward. It might be nighttime, but I'm not going to sit here. It might be nighttime, but I'm not going to be bound and even though I don't see it yet God's taking care of it and I'm gonna act like it I want to challenge somebody today today not tomorrow I'm not preaching for Monday it's not one of those messages I'm preaching for today today it's time for somebody you know I'm talking to you it's time to accept the miracle that you weren't expecting even though you don't see it yet because it's already been done 
I know it's nighttime and everything seems worse at night. But that thing you've been worried about, that thing you've been stressing about and so afraid of that's been looming over you and pressing on you when you try to go to sleep at night, consuming your mind, what you feel like has been restricting you and what you have not been able to move on your own, listen to me, it has already been done. Somebody praise the Lord. Y'all stand with me. Musicians, come. I, 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 don't, I, want, I don't want to miss this moment. I got to make this point. I'm not going to be cute about it. Just, just tell you. Jesus didn't need to move the stone. You preached about it a couple of Sundays ago. The book of John talks about Jesus interacting with, with the disciples and with Thomas and and they were in a, in a room locked with the door locked because they were so afraid. And the scripture says that Jesus was in their midst. He just appeared. I can't explain it. Phase shifting. Atomic manipulation. I don't know. He just did it. He showed up in the middle of it. Walking through walls. Suddenly appearing in places. Interacting with people after his resurrection in a glorified body. Jesus didn't need to move the stone so he could get out of the tomb. He just walked through it. Just on the other side of it. So if the stones, if the stone sealing the tomb wasn't an obstacle to him, well, why move it? Do it for him. He did it for them. He did it for those three ladies. Making their way to what they expected to be a place of death and defeat. Just trying to do the best they could. After an incredibly confusing and strenuous night. He moved it for them. Moving the stone was proof for them. Moving the stone was to make way for them. He moved the stone to help them. Jesus didn't need the miracle of an open tomb and a stone moved out of the way. They needed it. He did that miracle for those three ladies and his disciples to show them what you couldn't move on your own strength. Even if you tried, I already did it for you. What you couldn't get around in your own authority. I already did it for you. What you were worried about and afraid of and consumed with in your mind. I already did it for you. 
it just speaks to the love and care and concern and compassion that Jesus has for people. For people like you. For people like those three ladies. He said, you need this. You need this. So I'm taking care of it for you because I love you and I care about you. And once again, it comes down to how much God wants to have a relationship with humanity and that He's willing to be so kind and give us what He knows we need. He wants to do the same thing for some people here at Grace Church today. He really does. I just want to caution somebody though. Somebody today, you, you, you've been listening and yet you want to believe, you want to get on board, you want to try again, you want to, you want to say some things in faith, you, you want to get on board, but you're just not sure. You need more details. I don't, I don't want you to miss out on this miracle moment because you don't know the details. Because we want to know when it's going to happen. And we want to know how it's going to happen. And we want to know what God's going to use to make it happen. And we want to know what it's going to look like whenever it happens. Can can I just real simply explain something to you guys about this? Brian Tears, one of my oldest friends. If that man sends me a text, y'all are going to laugh, I don't care. If he sends me a text or calls me and says, man, come eat. I don't have to know a lot of details. My, listen to me, my past experience with him and my relationship with Brian means that I trust what he's preparing. So whenever the text comes through and says, y'all want some crawfish? Man, I don't have to ask questions. Well, what, what, what kind of seasonings are you using? Because if it's not Zatarain's, I don't want any. And where'd you get them? Because if you got them from that store up there by your house, I don't want those. And, or, what kind of crawfish are we talking about, Brian? Are these grade A select crawfish or are these the last two bags left on a Saturday afternoon? Did you wash them first? How long are you going to let them sit after boiling? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. My relationship and my past experience with him means that I trust what he's preparing even though I haven't experienced it yet. But just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean that it's not already done because that's how God treats His children. If He says He's going to do something, then in His mind, like a good father, you might not have it in hand yet, but it's in His mind and in His heart, it's already been done for you. Oh, I feel the witness of the Spirit here today. God, you put this together. Let's pray. Let's pray.
They're going to go start to sing, and God's going to do His thing for somebody today. I've seen you this morning. I've seen you. I've seen the Word of God hit home. I've watched you start to weep in disbelief. I'm not being prophetic. I saw it with my eyes. I saw it happen. God has been speaking to you. I just want you to go ahead and step out in faith and thank Him for what He's already been, what He's already done. The stone's already moved. The obstacle's already taken care of. The worry's already been addressed. It's already done in His mind. I know you don't see it yet, but I'm telling you, He's a good, good Father. He's a good God. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's already been done. I want to challenge you. Go ahead and thank Him for it. Go ahead and speak those things that are in your heart. They may not be yet, but speak them as though they were. Go ahead and use the faith that He's given you as the substance of what you're hoping for and as the evidence of what you don't see yet. Speak it in faith. Come on, Grace Church. Come on. God's dealing with a few people right now. I can see it. Come on, let's come. Let's come. We do it every Sunday. God wants to deal with some hearts here in these altars today. God wants to begin to move on behalf of some people. We need to hear from you today, Jesus. Confirm your word to them in a voice other than mine so that they'll know in their heart that it's not just the voice of a man, but you had their number before this week ever started. You knew what they were going to be going through. You knew about the bad report they were going to hear. You knew about the increase in tension that they were going to feel. You knew about the pressure they would be under today. You already knew. God, you wanted to know it's already been done. They don't have to worry and lose sleep and be anxious and struggle because it's already been done. Pray with somebody. Pray with somebody. Pray for a release of Holy Ghost power. Look around you. Find somebody that's reaching out to God. Pray for them. Pray that they would reframe the way that they're seeing the darkness around them so that they can think differently. Speak something over them. A word of power. A word of encouragement. Come on. Everything lies 
Oh,